Hey everyone, my name is Jen. I'm a licensed minister, a certified trauma-informed coach, and your host. Today we're here to say the pain. Say the Pain is a podcast made possible by New Course Coaching, a trauma-informed coaching company focused on trauma recovery. Say the Pain is back. I hope everyone is enjoying their summer. If you did not catch the last episode, there was an announcement at the end, which just simply said that for the summer months, we're going to do one episode per month. So welcome to July's episode, everybody. And today's episode is actually going to be part one and come August is going to be part two, but part one and part two of what? I am so glad that you've asked. I am joined by not just any guest, but the best guest, Jeremiah Allward. If I can insert applause, I'll do that for you, babe. No worries. Jeremiah is the behind-the-scenes guy for New Course Coaching and is here today to join me in the telling of our story actually. So I did not ever want to interview myself because I thought that was very uncomfortable. And I've always wanted to have a man's point of view represented when it comes to pregnancy loss. So he is willing to do these two episodes with me and to discuss our journey through pregnancy loss. So with that, Jeremiah said I could introduce him. So he is a wonderful security worker in the Ames, Iowa area. He is the assistant pastor at New Life Church in Ames, and he's my husband. So, Jeremiah, welcome on Say the Pain. Thank you. So, where New Course Coaching and Say the Pain kind of came from was out of a life-threatening miscarriage that happened at the end of 2020, December 30th of 2020, and that was our first pregnancy. Right. Yeah. Brand new to the whole world of not only pregnancy, but also COVID. Yep. Right. And so seeing doctors during those months was extra interesting. Yeah. They, that was, I think, a challenge for everyone. So, <laughs> and where I think we're going to pick up and just kind of jump right in, and what's going to happen is I'm going to start off kind of telling portions of the story. But there are portions throughout our story where we were separated, especially at the beginning, um, just due to the magnitude of complications that happened. And so there were pieces of a story that I actually didn't know were happening. And then there were pieces of story that he didn't know was happening. So we're going to kind of put both of our sides together in these two episodes. And uh, we ended up with two miscarriages 
along our road to today. And then one very extensive run-in with COVID in between those two miscarriages. And then we are currently now expecting, so we are on our third pregnancy and our due date is in October. And so far, everything is looking really good with that. But anyway, back to 2020. December 28th of 2020, we were headed to a youth event in Des Moines, Iowa. And right before we were about to head down, I had noticed some light bleeding and we were still at the house. And I really was more irritated because I just wanted to get down to Des Moines and I just wanted to get there and I wanted everything to be fine. I wanted to go tell our friends that we were expecting because at this point we were about 10 and a half weeks in to this pregnancy, our first pregnancy, and we hadn't shared the news with many people yet. And so we called the clinic and I think I had them on speaker if I remember this correctly. And I just told the nurse like, hey, I'm noticing some bleeding. Yeah. Haven't been to the OB yet, which that was its own thing because of COVID. Right. Because of COVID, it was just trying to schedule that. And usually it was just a few weeks, you know, at least a few weeks out. So I do remember that phone call. And I remember you talking and, you know, they just kind of scheduled it further down. Yeah. It was like the 12 and a half week yeah. time, which if you're not familiar with pregnancy timeline, that's actually once you're in your second trimester at that point. So for my whole first trimester, I just never saw the doctor. So they just said, well, there's not really anything we can do unless like you're concerned. If you want to come in, you can, but like you just kind of need to watch it and let us know if it gets worse. Right. They kind of left it up to us because it was, I mean, because it was just light. It was kind of, okay, this could be just part of the process or not. But of course, you know, we didn't really have any prior experience to what was normal. So you kind of just, I don't know, I hate to say gamble, but you kind of just take a chance in that scenario of, okay, well, you know, I'll just take the take the word that it's just not going to be that bad. So we did go down to Des Moines. Yeah, because, I mean, you're, you're assuming if the medical staff isn't concerned. I don't want to be like this crazy yeah. person that's ultra freaking out of, I mean, it's our first pregnancy. And I love when people are like, well, you know, do you think it's normal? And I'm like, I don't know what like normal pregnancy pain is. I don't. I mean, this is my first time and it's hard because every pregnancy is very unique and everybody goes through different things. So we just ended up in Des Moines and we're just like, okay, we're just going to monitor this. That was Monday night. And then all day Tuesday, we were just doing events and, and there was a blizzard. There was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love snow. So I was pretty excited about that. I mean, it's December in the Midwest. So, I mean, you kind of expect. Uh, you do. You do. You hope for it. Yeah. So <laughs> that happened all the 29th. So the morning of the 30th, there's a lot of snow. The blizzard had stopped. But once blizzard stopped, there's still a lot of snow. And I woke up at 8 a.m. And I remember because I woke up in so much pain and I looked at my phone and I knew we had just gotten to bed really late. And I just tossed and turned and tossed and turned and I could not go back to sleep. And then at 8.30 a.m., it just was like this sudden burst inside of me. Like I, I have no other ways to explain it other than like I just felt this burst happen. And I immediately ran to our hotel bathroom. That was when 
my water broke and then the bleeding started. So bleeding started at 8.30 in the morning. And I just jumped in the tub to see if it was going to stop. But really, it just kept getting worse. And at this point, you were still sleeping. Yeah, I remember you kind of calling in. Because you, cause you went in there and I was still sleeping. And then I remember you just kind of calling me. And I think I said, we just need to call the doctor. And so you wanted to know, okay, like what's going on? So I just told you like, hey, like, I, I don't know. There, there was just a burst of water and now there's blood. Yeah. So I called the OB and they just said that they would call us back because they didn't have someone that could take our phone call and answer questions at that time. So they just said, hey, we'll call you back. Well. I do remember it got worse relatively fast. You know, the bleeding just kind of increased. You did not look well. I was getting a little bit worried, you know. And so what I ended up doing was calling the OB emergency line because there was an emergency OB line that you could call. And they informed me that we were actually too early along in the pregnancy. We were too early. I think we were at about two and a half weeks yeah. At that time, but they said they didn't deal with any emergency pregnancies that were, it was either the 11th or the 12th week is like what anything above that they would see. Like if you were on that or above, they, they'd see you. But if you're below that, they just would not let you come in. They just encouraged us to call the straight 911 line. So that's what I did, obviously, because it got pretty bad. Yeah. And like, I just remember by the time that you had gotten off the phone with the actual clinic that we were going to be going to. And then by the time that you had gotten off the phone with the OB emergency line or the OB 911 is what I'll just call it. I had started hemorrhaging to a point where like the blood loss was not at this point, a question to me as to whether or not we needed help. It was Things are, they just went downhill so fast at that point. And it was kind of hard to even know what to do. And I just remember moving from the tub to the toilet. Then within a short time, the bleeding had just gotten so bad. And I really remember just looking at you and being like, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. And then I had seen myself. I had looked toward the mirror and I was just really white. And I remember you saying, like, I just look really, really white. You were extremely pale. I have never seen your face that color. And it looked very sickly. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. just, it just looked very concerning. I do remember at that point, very shortly after, you know, you just kind of lost your physical ability just to kind of remain up. Yeah. And that was when I fell off the toilet and blacked out for a quick second. And then I woke up, like, hitting the floor. And just started dry heaving is what happened. And by that point, 911 had answered you. Yeah. By that point, I was, you know, I think I may have gotten you up off the floor or whatever and called 911, got a hold of them, gave them the address of the, lo- of the location we were at and the room number as well, just to make sure that they could get to the place. And it was at that point that I just said, you know, I, I gave them all the information they needed. And so I just got off the phone, started helping you get ready to be taken out, you know, on the stretcher or whatever. Yeah. Cause I mean, at that point we didn't know like how bad things, like we knew things were bad. We did. We did. So we just knew we had to get you, you know, ready, you know, rather 
stuff was taken care of there on the site or or not you know we just we prepared so i helped you get ready you were unable to do that by yourself so and i just remember like before they got there like i just remember telling you like i don't think anything can survive this and i didn't even know what this was but what i knew right. was like we were just in a point of this pregnancy had taken a very different turn and it was very clear at that point yeah so then shortly after, I know the EMTs, you know, they, they came in. That was kind of nice to all of a sudden have them there, actually, because it was like, finally, somebody's here <laughs> that, mm. can, that can do something. A little bit more uh, experience of where I was at, you know, I, I felt pretty helpless in those few moments. And then as soon as the EMTs got there, I immediately felt relieved because I was like, okay, these are the guys that are doing it all the time. They see all sorts of stuff. I'm, I'm sure they just... They can take care of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like they can deal with it. They know to take, just get you to a hospital, but at least they can do the life-saving measures, whatever's needed there, just to make sure, you know, no deaths happen prematurely. That's the goal. I mean, but at that point, we didn't even know what we needed. We just knew we needed them or, I mean, yeah. yeah. And what they asked me kind of what was going on. So we're telling them, you know, everything leading up to that point and the guy's like well can you walk so i walked to the elevator with them and you stayed behind because you were gonna ride separately yeah i was gonna and i say stay behind you just didn't walk down with me you were grabbing a few things is what i remember correct correct yeah i was just grabbing the last few minutes things getting ready to just leave the room you know follow the ambulance down to the hospital I don't even remember what I grabbed, but I remember just kind of grabbing like a backpack and just putting some, I guess you would say more like necessary items to go with just in case. Yeah. You know, but other than that, you know, I think I could just grab the car keys and my jacket and the backpack and whatever I put in it and kind of work my way out to the vehicle. And then that's whenever, you know, of course the snow from the night before, that was beautiful. It was beautiful, but it was kind of standing in the way of traveling for me. So the car was just covered in snow. So I started that process of just getting it, you know, unstuck. Yeah. Because there was snow behind it. There was snow on top of it. There was snow all over. So you just got to shovel that snow because it's just so deep. So if you're going to get out, you just kind of got to move it. So I do. I did get some help. Um, there was a young man. I actually don't remember this. You helped me re recall this. I was focused elsewhere at the time. But yeah, I do remember being helped. And I guess it was Elijah that... Um, a friend of ours, I remember watching him clean up a vehicle that he was responsible for, that he was with. And then I just kind of caught his attention and I asked him to come help. And I just said, hey, there's some serious stuff going on. I need your assistance. Can you just help me clean up the vehicle real quick? And so he did help me. Just very thankful for the assistance there. And then, of course, by that time, I think they already had you in the ambulance. And so you were kind of just kind of leaving the parking lot. You know, so, I mean, I had already started up the vehicle. So that's the first thing you do in the wintertime. You just start the vehicle, then you clean off the snow. So the vehicle is warm enough to start moving, start following. Whenever we started following, I ended up calling our pastor immediately. He was pretty calm. You know, he handles that pretty well. But he just took the phone call, let me tell him what was up. And he just said, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to pray real quick. And so he took some time to just pray with me uh, for our scenario 
that God would just be with us. He prayed protection over us as we were traveling that I was very thankful for because of the snow everywhere. So mm-hmm. it could have been dangerous. Um, but I remember whenever he started praying, I just bawled. I could barely even say anything myself and, and I could barely even speak a word of prayer out. I was just, I was stunted. Like I was just very shocked by the sudden change of events and having somebody there to just pray was actually really comforting, but it also kind of allowed for some of those emotions that were just kind of waiting behind to come out as well. So this, so here I am driving on the phone, you know, I'm not holding the phone. I got it on Bluetooth, but here I am driving, talking on the phone, I'm crying, trying to keep the tears out of my eyes so I can stay on the road. I wasn't speeding though, because the ambulance wasn't going too fast. They were moving, but they were doing it cautiously. Yeah, they were not moving quickly. So they had asked me to walk to the elevator with them. And this was the first point where we had been separated. And so that's where like some of this you had told me and then I came back and told you. But it, so they got me on the stretcher in the lobby. Of the hotel, right? Yeah, of the hotel we were staying at. They wheeled me out to the ambulance. And at this point now, I'm not just dealing with EMTs. I'm not dealing with the paramedic. And not that it's important. It was just, it was all men, which like I said, isn't typically important to me, like just help me. But what I was just completely astounded by was I had started what I now know was going into labor, which sounds very strange, but the whole scenario was really strange. And I did not know I was going into labor. I just all of a sudden started having these contractions, but I didn't know what they were because I didn't think that was possible nor had I ever had them. And I just could hardly talk. I was just in a lot of pain, but I knew I was losing a lot of blood. And I'm laying on there and that pain just hits. And I'm just really trying to not yell out. I'm just trying to like keep it together. And the paramedic keeps asking me questions and I'm answering him as loudly as I can. I'm answering him what my name is, what my date of birth is, and I'm experiencing this pain. And so the ambulance at this point was not moving. No. Okay. So like we were still in the parking lot. That's why the fact that you could clean off the vehicle and get the vehicle ready to follow the amp, like they were just not moving quickly. I remember passing you in the vestibule area with everything headed out to the vehicle and you were still working on getting on the stretcher at that time that I passed you. I just kept going because I knew they were going to get you into the van. I wasn't going to wait right. to get my vehicle and then follow. I, I just knew I had to get to the vehicle and start it up you know, ASAP to get it moving. And the paramedic, as he's asking me these, he gets really upset with me and he starts raising his voice and saying, I need you to answer me and I need you to answer me loudly. I just remember like grabbing the chair and like pulling myself up. I was so angry at that point. I was like, I am in so much pain and I am losing a lot of blood. I'm doing the best I can. And then I remember we finally started moving And while we were driving, he asked me if I knew what was happening. I said, I was pregnant. I'm pregnant. And he wanted to know if I had been to the OB. And I had not been to the OB because of COVID. And because of that, he really would not believe that I was pregnant. It was like nine o'clock by the time we got to the hospital. I remember when we were checking in, the nurse is asking him questions. And he, in front of me, is like, she says she's pregnant. And I just, at that point, was beyond upset. I was just beyond anything that this man could say to me, or I just really wanted him to leave. 
you were actually there, which shocked me somewhat because like you were just like Johnny on the spot, like everywhere. Like, and so like we got together, but this was nine o'clock now. So I had been bleeding substantially for half an hour and they put us in this pediatric ER room, like in this corner, it wasn't even a regular ER room and they were not equipped to actually deal with the emergency that was happening. No, they, um, that specific room wasn't really set up for an adult, obviously, or for anything super serious. It was just kind of a holding room, I think, for just, you know, for a kid that's there. So it, it did seem like the room lacked a lot of, I guess I would have assumed as like common material that would, that you would normally see like in a hospital. I didn't see a lot of that there. No. No, it was, must have really been one of their just spare rooms or over like major overflow rooms or something. Yeah. And so like the nurse that's initially checking me in asks me to repeat everything that I've already shared with the EMT and the paramedics. She gets us checked in. We go to this room. Another half an hour goes by. So we're about 930. Another nurse comes in, asks us what's going on. We repeat the whole story again. Mm -hmm. Another half an hour goes by and then we have a physician come in. That's all that the name like it just said physician. So this physician comes in and asks what's going on. <laughs> and at this point, I just really wanted to ask the question, what happened to the story that I have shared the past three times? Yeah, it did kind of seem like there was no record keeping just in general. And I don't know if they were just coming in asking to just hear the story over and over to see if there was any changes in the story, which maybe they were doing. You know, I, I can think of that now. Then I wasn't thinking, I was, then I was like, you, you literally need to ask again, like, don't you have any level of professionalism of like keeping track of your people? And that sounds really harsh, but in that moment, that's what it feels like, you know? Um, yeah. Now I can look back and think, okay, maybe they were just trying to make sure there was, you know, the pain you were in or any damage that you were in wasn't brought on by me or brought on by somebody else you know they may have just been checking to make sure that the story was staying the same just for your own protection i can look back and think of that and maybe consider that but then in the moment not happening <laughs> well no and i mean for me it's ask me if there's any new developments please don't ask me to repeat <laughs> everything and so she didn't even know that i had said i was pregnant which that just blew my mind and so we had to tell her that too and she's like, okay, well, I just want to check your numbers. And I remember saying like, I'm in a lot of pain. The pain comes and goes and I'm, I'm bleeding a lot. And so she's like, yeah, we're just going to check your numbers. The second nurse that I had dealt with comes back in, does a blood draw, takes that. And then she comes in like shortly after that. She's like, and we need like a urine sample. Can you walk to the bathroom? And at this point, I'm just like, no, I cannot. And I felt like that was almost taken not well, but needless to say, she went and got a wheelchair. Then she realized that it might be good to cover the wheelchair due to the level of blood loss. And so they put down, she put down like a small soaking pad that just kind of covered the whole chair and took me to the restroom. And what was so angering at that moment. So this is where we're separated for the second time. And she just hands me a small piece of gauze, like just one single piece. And it's like, we'll make sure that like, you give a clean urine sample. And I, at that point, noticed that I am not just bleeding, but like when you 
miscarry typically can look like blood clots and I'm starting to see really heavy blood clots and I'm starting to notice like the hemorrhaging it's not getting lighter it's in fact getting so much worse and so I literally looked at her I was like I don't think this is going to work so I asked if she could help me get clean and I gave the urine sample I was like this is the best that I can do for you right now and so she took it um she helped me get somewhat clean she gave me like a like a menstrual pad like here like maybe this will help and but then like took me back to the room and an hour goes by at this point and she's like you know your numbers look great we're just gonna take you to get an ultrasound at that point you're just like (laughs) sorry i mean just i'm like i i kind of remember like just being told the numbers look good and well i mean unless you're in that world every day numbers mean nothing no they don't tell me personally still today like and you could say well you're clearly very ignorant like you should just know these things well i i don't feel like the average person on the street knows what numbers are good what numbers are bad or what numbers are even being tested and what that even means no so i mean i was very lost on okay well the numbers look good well great i mean (laughs) they're all even that's that's all i knew right like the numbers look good okay great so there's nothing super serious going on yeah that's kind of what we were being led to at least feel yeah 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 and i you know i think the general level for you know for a short time was it kind of felt like okay you you can just maintain we'll get to you but just keep maintaining uh, because you're not that serious of a situation yeah um i think for me what became very serious was later on i could finally see that it dawned on them that something bigger was up yeah but this is we're at 11 30 so i've now been bleeding for three straight hours and nobody seems to be listening you know yeah i mean it wasn't at that point it was very obvious that it was not a light bleeding scenario um i mean the jeans that you were wearing uh, because you had a jean skirt on and that was not holding anything back no it was I mean, not to get grotesque, I mean, but it was a very rough situation where there was very obvious, no, there's, there's a lot happening. <laughs> well, and so by the time they take me to go to do the ultrasound, now just like this single soaking pad in the wheelchair isn't going to be enough. Now they need a couple of them, which to me, I'm like, look, like you've known I've been here for a while and it's not getting better. It's in fact getting worse. And I don't know when you called our parent i actually because i was never there when you were on the phone with you know i don't actually remember calling your parents i think i texted both sets so i texted mine texted yours i think i texted ryan that's what i remember i i don't even remember if i gave them a phone call i i think i just texted them once we got in the room uh together and you know because i didn't want to text them freaking them out but at the same time i wanted them to be aware so i I waited until we got into the room is what i remember and then i started shooting off text to get the information out to our parents letting them know hey you know we can use some prayers yeah and as i'm heading to the ultrasound now you're by yourself again for the third time and i'm by and we're just separated again i'm wheeled up in a wheelchair where i can't wheel myself and you're just left in this pediatric ER room, we'll call it. We don't know what it is. Glorified broom closet is just what it felt like. That's just my personal like feelings looking back. It was like, that was just insane. But 
I remember getting pushed up to the ultrasound room and that to me was the most challenging part of the whole day because the ultrasound tech had no idea what was going on. And she pushes me into the room and she says, there's a robe here. I want you to walk into the bathroom. I want to, I want you to get yourself changed. I want you to come back to the bed and I want you to get yourself set up, get yourself all covered up and get ready for an ultrasound. And just turned around and walked out. I just remember being like, I'll try. And I remember standing and like getting up out of the wheelchair. And I literally just fell on the ultrasound table. Jessica Lee was talking about like how she just remembers looking down and like she can remember her shoes. And it was part of that thing of like, I felt like my shoes at that point were the only thing that hadn't been destroyed. And I just remember kicking off my shoes. I just wanted something to feel like today hadn't destroyed something. And so I kicked my shoes off and like, I'm just laying there. And like my shoes was like the most that I got off and the ultrasound tech knocks and comes in. She's like, are you good? And I was like, I just need help. And she was the first person when she came over and she saw that I had not only bled through on the pads on the wheelchair, but then there was a trail of blood and things were just really bad. She was at that point, the first person that I felt was actually listening. She got me set up for an ultrasound. It was very painful. She let me know that tissue had passed. Um, That was always a really hard moment because part of me like wanted to see the tissue and then part of me didn't like, because I felt like I didn't know if I could handle it at that point, but they just quickly put it in a cup and took it out. And so they were going to analyze it to make sure that they could identify what it was. She said she could see nothing on the ultrasound just due to the amount of hemorrhaging that was happening. And then she just looked at me and she's like, I'm going to help you get cleaned up so you don't feel like you're part of a crime scene. Part of me was just, well, thank you for acknowledging that something's to this level, but like, why is nobody else acknowledging this? And so she gets me cleaned up. She gives me like almost like granny panty pads. If you're in a bad situation, these are the ones that they're going to give you. And that's like what she gave me. And she gave me more to take because she's like, you're going to need more. And so she gave me a bag of them. And then she just wheeled me outside of the room. And I remember she came and she brought this bag and she hung it on the the handle of my wheelchair. But again, I don't have a way to maneuver the wheelchair. So it's behind me, but I saw her put a bag on that. And she goes in and types something on the computer and then goes on. Well, what she had done was she had put me in to be transferred, but nobody came to get me. So I was sitting out in the hall by myself for a minimum of a half an hour. And in that time, they had brought in another pregnant woman in front of me and wheeled her into the same ultrasound room that I was just in and I'm outside and I hear her baby's heartbeat. And at that point, I just lost it. And I was mad. I was hurt. I was grieving. Like every emotion I could have had was like in that moment. And I just remember like, I wanted to just get up. I just wanted to walk to the room and like go sit by you. And I was like, I, I don't even know where I am. I can't get up out of this wheelchair because like I'll pass out at this point. Like, I'm so weak. I can't even maneuver the wheelchair. And I just started praying because it was like, that was just all I felt like at that moment was going to help in any semblance. And what I really felt was like, God had told me that one day I was going to be able to use this to encourage others who felt like their promise had died or been taken from them. And it's still emotional, like when I think back to it, but as much as I can be upset with the medical field, 
what's come out of that experience is a greater understanding of how to love hurting people. But that was a choice I had to make because I was very angry. And so finally the ultrasound tech comes out and realizes that I've been waiting there and I'm at this point just livid. And I remember coming back closer to one, I think it was like 1240, 1245, finally getting back to you. And like, I was just so happy to see you. And I don't even know what you did in that whole time while I was gone. I don't even remember. I think I, if anything, I probably sent updates out to family members. I do remember that time kind of getting a little extended and just kind of thinking to myself of, you know, where are you? And I kind of, you know, you started thinking the worst whenever someone you think should be there with you and they're not. So I mean, you start, you, you do, you start thinking the worst thoughts. And so I was like, well, where did they take her? Well, and it was because in the name of COVID, you couldn't go to the ultrasound room with me. It was, they wanted to be careful. I think I remember telling you like tissue had passed. Mm-hmm. I think you did. But at this point, the numbers look great. The the numbers look great. Yeah. And that's just all we knew. And so by, and it was like almost an hour later, the doctor comes back in and she's like, so the results came back and um, I'm just wondering, did you know that you were pregnant? And there was a great lack of communication somewhere. I didn't even know how to respond to that and feel like I was rational because I just literally want to be out of here. I want to feel like somebody's listening to me. And we were like, yes, we knew we were pregnant. Yes, yes, we did. And so that was when she confirmed that it was fetal tissue and that it was a confirmed miscarriage. And then like she handed me the little bag that the ultrasound tech, we hadn't been handed that bag. She's like, here are resources for you, which I feel like that resource pack could be a whole nother episode in and of itself. We don't have time. <laughs> Needless to say, it was one of the most unhelpful resource packs I've ever been handed in my life. And she wanted to take your numbers again. And then she said she was going to turn it over to the OB surgeon. And they left. You know, we took that news of, okay, the baby is officially gone. And it was like, even though we, we knew that deep down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just the pronouncement of it that was just now it's close to 1 30 in the afternoon five hours of hemorrhaging and you're just now telling us this yeah just shortly after that the nurse had come back ended up taking some more of your blood and left again yeah they just wanted to make sure my numbers were still good the numbers were being watched which is good i guess that's they're supposed to do i guess but we hadn't heard what was going on with those numbers and so like an hour goes by and i have to go to the restroom again we push the call button and the nurse came in and we're asking number one about the numbers and she's like yep they look good they look good and i so i had to go to the restroom again and i could tell it wasn't her most favorite activity of the day and she had to get a wheelchair but things were just getting worse they weren't getting better I just remember looking at her feeling so weak and I'm like, when is this just going to stop? And like, she just didn't answer me. She didn't have anything to say. And I think part of it was she didn't know. So we get back to the room. OB surgeon comes in around 315, does a pelvic exam. 
And so this was the point where like the blood loss was just beyond any pad that you could give me. And she just was trying to find something in this room and couldn't find anything. And so she just reached and she got folded sheets. If I remember correctly, it was two sets of sheets that she just put under me to do this exam. And she just said she couldn't even see anything because the bleeding was just so bad. But you were in the room with me that time. So I, I was actually somewhat relieved to not be alone having to deal with this. Yeah, it was probably about at that point that I began to feel like um, our situation had actually been more serious than what we realized or and or led to believe at the same time. Right. And it was all of a sudden, hey, we got to do something about this because, you know, they started to talk about, hey, you probably need to go into surgery and have a DNC. Yeah. You probably just need to get cleaned out surgically because the warning was if you didn't, if your body wasn't able to do that by itself, then you were going to become septic if we left, that that was likely. Because what she was saying was there was still a piece of that pregnancy that was not being cleaned out by my body right. naturally. Right, right. And that was going to cause the infection. And that's what my body was doing. It was trying to get rid of it. By bleeding by bleeding but the fetal tissue had already passed so they didn't know what part right was still in yeah that had it been that your body had it already cleansed out yet but yeah that was whenever the the surgeon the ob the person that was there kind of just said you need to go in for surgery so that you just get the process done right and you just kind of go through it and but it was almost posed to us like what do you want to do is what i remember it was like well like you could go home, but like, you're going to end up here anyway. They would have let us leave. They would have. But at the same time, I do remember the OB really recommending doing the surgery. Yes. It was just very much of like, if you don't do it now, you're going to be in here tonight, tomorrow, at some point. And it's just going to be even worse. Like, it's just going to be worse. So we opted in to just get the surgery going. So I think at that point, they started working towards getting you to another area. But it wasn't until five o'clock when the transition from the ER room to the OR started. So we okay. had an hour 45 and like, I just remember constantly looking at the clock. And the reason why it was because like, I have been bleeding this whole time and nobody is listening. No one is listening. And I know with traumatic events, you know, you can dissociate, you know, you're trying to survive. For me, it was just, I want to be able to acknowledge this really happened. And so I remember because they start transferring me and that was when the Flemings actually made it. Yeah, because once we agreed to do the surgery, I ended up leaving. I think they had like a Starbucks yeah. in-house or in the hospital, which was an interesting, nice convenience to have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they did, you know, and so I went and grabbed something to eat. I was hungry. They weren't going to let you eat because you had surgery. We had surgery to happen. I wasn't even hungry. I remember you just encouraging me to go do go do that. And for me, it was really more value to just kind of be alone. That's whenever I just think best is whenever I can just roam and just, you know, have my thoughts to myself. And, and that was good. It was, uh, it was really important. You know, I think I took that time to communicate with others what we were planning for the surgery and hey you know we're going into surgery soon you got that word out so that people could be aware of that and just pray specifically for that surgery at some point i came back to the room i do remember they started to move you into the or it was just about right at the time that 
they got you into that room very shortly after I got the text from our pastor, Pastor Daniel Fleming, that they were there. Yeah. Um, I have, I have fond, well, I just have, I, you know, in this harsh time, you know, I had fond memories of that whole scenario. Um, but just because it was ridiculous, it was incredible. <laughs> it, it, it was just, you know, you got COVID going on, right? So everybody's just kind of on high alert with that. But my pastor texts and says, Hey, I'm here. They weren't letting him through. So I went to go get him. I found him where he was and said, yes, this is the one I'm waiting for. I got him back to you. By the time I got him back, I didn't know it, but Sister Fleming was there as well. And I was like, oh, well, they're both here. Great. You know, and so I think she texted us that she was just having some difficulty getting in. So she was just going to wait out. And so I let her know, like, no, like, I'm going to come and like, I will get you. Yeah, I just remember being really was, weak and like hearing that. And I just remember kind of doing the whole like grabbing the bedside again and like pulling myself up. And I'm like, she will come in. She will come in. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of that whole idea of, well, I mean, only certain people were allowed in because of COVID, right? So, I mean, very limited, very, 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 very limited. Um, I think that was actually the biggest reason why you know, your parents didn't show up. Yeah. Between the blizzard yeah. being, you know, I think they were probably a good hour and a half two hours out on top of that they were far away you had the blizzard and it was during the covid time where it was they weren't they weren't even guaranteed to be able to see us no so they just stayed home yeah um and just kept asking for updates um at that time you know by the time pastor got there sister Fleming got there she was not being let in there was actually a nurse that helped us from the or do you remember that yeah it was a nurse that I said, hey, the front receptions isn't letting this person in. I really want that person to come in. Yeah. You wanted, and you said that, yeah, I, I want her to come in. And that that OR operating room nurse was like, I'll take care of it and just went with me. And I informed the person there that that was the pastor's wife and would be coming back. And so that operating room nurse connected eyes with the receptionist and, and it was communicated that Sister Fleming was going to be let in. We got her to the back and I was so grateful for that nurse to come with me to make sure that those who could be there yeah, in that time where things were very uncertain for us, because you actually started to look worse. You were gradually looking paler and just kind of seeming very, very weak. And that was one thing that really marks that day and really that whole event, you know, for the rest of the month. For me, it was that you lost so much strength and you never gained that back. So in the day of, you truly did get to that point where you were just very, very weak. So, you know, you're in the operating room. We finally get Pastor and Sister Fleming there, you know, thanks to that nurse being a wonderful person. Yeah. Uh, he was a huge help. But we're in there. You were just about ready to go into the operating room. Yeah about the time the sister Fleming got there because I mean I remember she got there and it was like five, ten minutes. Yeah. If you know, and then they were like, okay, we're taking you in now. And so they prayed with you real quick and they took you away. <laughs> that was that was hard. That was hard to see you be taken away. And it was at that point I realized like so much is out of my hands. Yeah. And I think it was at that point that, you know, pastor just said, okay, what what do you need? What what can I do? And 
I had no idea what I needed, but I think he's the one that suggested, well, you know, is your parking spot at your home? Is that plowed so that you can park there? And we hadn't been home for a couple of days. And with that blizzard, I mean, of course it wasn't plowed. So um, I said, no, it's, it's not plowed. And so he said he would take care of it. So he, in the blizzard, <laughs> drove back through all of that. And I don't even know if it snowed again or whatever, but he braved the roads. And that night he ended up just going back to his house, grabbing his snowblower and bringing it in his car. Actually, I think he lifted it up into his trunk, brought it here to our house and took care of our driveway for us so that we could just park so that we could just get in. So that was huge. You know, when they loaded up, took it back. So that was one thing that he was doing that was while we were going in. So I think you went, you went into surgery about five o'clock. Yeah. In like the afternoon. Like right? I transitioned to the room around five and then within 15 minutes I had gotten put in the room. They had prepped me and like I was going in. Cause like that, that turnaround time was not long. Yeah. I think it was at that point that I, so I ran back to the hotel because they were like, yeah, it's going to be at least an hour and a half. And, and I wasn't just going to sit there and do nothing. So I was like, well, we're going home tonight. Like, we're not going back. So I went, Well, that's what they were telling us. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that that is what they said. Like, we were we were going to be done that night. So I ran back to the hotel to grab all our stuff, you know, packed it all up, took it down to the vehicle, loaded it all up. Well, the hotel found out what room we were in, and they just worked with us. And They did. They were extremely helpful. They just kind of blocked it off for as long as needed you know i think i'd reach back out onto the hussies at that time the youth president so. yeah the youth president yeah of the iowa district and you know i just connected with him and told him what kind of what was going on and said you know i'll i'll try to get back to the hotel room you know asap and just clean it up so that because we were supposed to be out that day and i connected with him you know, he was very, very helpful. He was just so willing to, you know, if we wanted another night at the hotel, like, don't worry about it. Just take it, you know, um, just stay another night if you need to. They were going to take care of it for us. And we were being told that we could just go home that night. I knew that we would not want to go back to the hotel room. No. We'd want to be in our own home. So I just said, you know what? It's fine. But the offer was really kind. It and was extremely kind. And for those listening, if you don't know, the Hussies, that's a last name. They're Nathan, wonderful people. Nathan and Emily Hussey, they serve the Iowa district for youth ministry. And they have always been very good to us. So, I, so. yeah, I called the Hussies. So I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> some, sorry, I didn't even don't want me to clarify. I don't use that language often. So, I mean, I just... I see your last name and that's what I see. So you're at the hotel getting packed up. And I just remember I was not awake very long for surgery. They wheeled me back. <laughs> yeah, I think because I remember them putting in the uh, sleep juice. Like, we'll, call it. well, from the ambulance, they put in my IV and it really hurt. And I, I don't know if they put it in wrong or if it was just the vein that they chose or if it was just the amount mm -hmm. of blood loss that was creating a lot of pain. Probably combination. Before they put me in surgery, they were like, do you need anything? I said, look like this IV really hurts and they're like well do you want us to put it in a different one I remember like thinking I don't know that I do I don't know it's gonna be better I just said how long am I gonna be awake and they said not long and I said just leave it and I, what I remember was being transported from the bed that they took me in on to the operating room table and I don't think I remember if I remember two minutes that would be amazing because I I don't remember much else after that conversation so at that point I ended up you know, I grabbed the items from the hotel 
I made it back to the hospital. You know, I got into the waiting room and then you just play the waiting game, right? And you're just sitting, waiting, 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 waiting. You know, I got a little impatient with that, but me impatient is maybe like standing up and and pacing a little, like that's going to be my biggest show of impatience, (laughs) unless I'm provoked, I guess. But anyways, you know, eventually it came around that you were out of the operating room and you were kind of in the, I guess, the holding place where people who are done with operations can just kind of wake up on their own. So I finally got transferred to where you were and I got to you before you really woke up. But I mean, it was pretty quickly after that, that you woke up within 45 minutes, I think, of you waking up. I think you were dressed and headed out. Like yeah. it wasn't long. So I remember being in the car by 7 p.m. It was. It, I remember it as well. It was and nuts. My numbers were still fine. Your numbers were good. <laughs> yep. My uh, numbers I, were still even. No odd numbers. So I remember waking up feeling like they had put a tube down my throat because like there was just a pain like that felt like something had really been there. But I just remember being really thirsty. They were like, yep, you're good to go. I think they had you a little juice box or something. Yeah, they gave me a juice box. Grammys or crackers or something. I think I remember the crackers, yeah. So they gave one of them. No, I just wanted the juice. I think I eat the crackers and the (laughs) juice. That was my quote unquote recovery watch, but just due to COVID, they didn't really want us to hang around real long. So they were happy for us just to go home. And I just remember they wheeled me out and said you're fine and i remember asking can i go back to work and they were like yep yep you're good and we were in the car headed home we were you know we got home and the house like the driveway for us to park was plowed Mm -hmm. and i just remember being very thankful that you know you think what can i do in those times for people that may be going through hard stuff And one of the biggest things for me was the fact that somebody went out of their way to do something as small as just plowing my driveway. That wasn't much at all, but I mean, they plowed it enough to where we could come in and park, not to worry about trying to park the vehicle and, and get in. So, you know, got you inside. I mean, by that time it's wintertime. So, I mean, everything's dark, but I mean, we get home, we get inside. That was good. That was, uh, well, I was actually supposed to speak at church that night and the Flemings were supposed to be on vacation. And when you called, they were still in Iowa. They weren't heading because they were heading out to Minnesota. Yep. Yep. They had for it. their family. And so they hadn't left, but they just took care of us and they brought us dinner and they brought us a gift card and said, just don't worry about anything for tomorrow. I remember being. Just- <laughs> it was Panera. Yes. And they brought, we had no idea because we didn't do Panera often. So, you know, I was kind of never like, well, you know, we'll grab this and Jim wants that. I wanted soup. That was why. And so Panera was like one of the only things that was open that would do soup. But at the end of the day, we're at home. And I just remember feeling like I'm on top of the world because my anesthesia hasn't wore off. And I'm like, man, everybody needs a surgery in their life. Well, we made it home and we were without a baby. We were. We were, we, we lost that one. I mean, it, it was almost like that whole expectation, just what you expect like to be. It was kind of like, we're grieving the loss of our child, but still processing everything that had happened in the past 24 hours. 
I mean, because hemorrhaging wise, it was from 8.30 a.m. And I got into surgery a little after 5 p.m. Yeah, I do remember your family stopped by the next day. Um, I know my family was calling and texting yeah. and checking on us. And you were pretty weak, mm-hmm. you know, physically. You were unable to do a lot. So whenever it came to mobility and whatnot, I obviously had plenty. So I took care of you for a little bit. But I remember your family coming yeah, and just spending some time with us. It was good just to have family come in and just kind of sit and talk. I remember them, you know, just talking and, you know, cracking jokes like they usually do. Because that's just who your family is. Yeah. Keeping things laughter filled and kind of as light as possible. But you were physically weak and it was hard. And I think I actually feel like it was that Sunday that I remember your anesthesia wearing off. And I think that was actually like the worst day for you is what i remember but you you went back to work on that monday and And things were not really getting better not only were things not getting better but things were just different on a lot of levels and here's probably a good spot just to kind of end for the day and we'll pick up with how life changed because the recovery process was not a short one but i was fine the doctors just kept saying that I was fine. You know, honestly, I do remember at that point, I was just very thankful that you had survived the hospital. Regardless of how bad you looked, how weak you were, for me, I was just so thankful that you had survived the hospital. The bleeding had finally been dealt with. Yeah. And... It was kind of like, okay, no matter how low we are, it's at least stopped. And we can at least start the process of getting better. I was just grateful to be home and to start that process, even though it was very different than what we were used to uh, as far as a life schedule. But it was good to be out of the hospital and to just be home. You always feel better. Yes. Whenever you're in your own house. And As we wrap up this episode, you know, you talked a little bit about when people are just in truly unknown waters, just doing something as simple as plowing the driveway. and How can others be the best support system to those that are either walking through pregnancy loss or walking through a tragic health circumstance where their spouse is just in really uncertain circumstances? What would you turn around and tell somebody? Um, you know, I'd probably encourage them to... Do a small thing. You know, whenever somebody's going through something really hard, really big in their own life, I mean, I personally can look at that and think, wow, I wish I could do something big for them in the middle of all their heart scenario. But I actually don't think that's as necessary. I, I actually think what is valuable is something that's that's little. Mm-hmm. Um, it may seem insignificant, but it's going to be extremely important to whoever's going through the problem even if it's something small it's going to be better than nothing and it's going to mean something more than nothing so it's going to mean something it will help them feel like somebody cared about during that time frame i think one of the valuable things that happened that really encouraged me was the fact that somebody showed up 
and somebody was there. You know, the Flemings, they weren't there for a real long time, but they showed up. I think back to, you know, college days, we were always told, don't underestimate the ministry of presence. Mm. And it's really the idea of, you may not always know what to say. You may not always know what to do, but one thing you can do is just be present and just be a listening ear. Literally just sit there with somebody that may be grieving and going through it. And you think, well, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything the majority of the time, but just being there, it does a lot more than what people give it credit for. And so what would you tell people who are walking through pregnancy loss and watching either the mother go through a really physically challenging time or even the husband just really going through a a terribly grieving time and having to be the main support system? Yeah, I'll probably just direct the answer to that question towards, I guess, the man, just because I don't want to personally speak to women concerning their process of dealing with pregnancy loss because it's different. It's very different concerning, you know, the way a man may go about it versus the way that she's going to go about it. So if I were to say anything to somebody that was a man that's going through pregnancy loss in that moment for me, it was easier to process the loss of the baby because really the biggest thing to me was you at the time what was most important to me was your health. And I thought, well, okay, if even if we lose the baby, like I can't lose you getting you out of the hospital, getting you to survive the hospital was kind of a little mini victory of like, okay, I don't have the baby, but, but I have you. And I think for me, that became the most important thing. And also the most traumatic thing about the whole scenario was not the loss of the child. It it was the most traumatic thing was the possible loss of a spouse. I know this is probably a long way to go about answering the question, but I think for men that go through that, the loss of a baby, I feel like one of the hardest things was to have to see you go through that loss and to be a place of support during that time. I would encourage men that are going through it. You know, if you're dealing with the loss of a pregnancy, your child didn't survive and didn't make it through. I guess it may sound really harsh, but I, 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 um, or maybe it may, maybe sounds, um, lacking empathy or lacking sympathy or insensitive. But one thing that really helped me was just holding on to what I still had. One thing that really helped me to just kind of find a place of stability was to just recognize what I still had. And, and I held on to that because for me, I can look at what I had lost and I think, you know, if that was the focus of what I had lost, there's no getting back that what you've already lost. 
So for me, the stability came in, in just considering and focusing on what I still had. And what I still had was you, my spouse, my wife. I still had you. And that's where I put my focus. That's where I just was like, you know what? This is what I still can affect. There's something I can do here. I couldn't do anything about the child. I couldn't do anything about the baby. You feel so helpless in those moments. You, I mean, you're, you are, you, you are so helpless. <laughs> you can't make anything happen that you'd like to. You're, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever happens. But in the middle of all that, I held to the fact that I still had my spouse. And I just, I guess you could say the phrase is count your blessings. And maybe it's odd to do that in the middle of, of the scenario. But once we were home, I could really look at that and say, okay, I, st I may not have the, the baby but I still have my wife. And so I just really took great comfort actually in that, just knowing that I still had you and that um, you had survived. So it's kind of just my part of that story, I guess. Yeah. So I hope I answered that correctly. Well, it's your answer. So. Okay. May it help somebody. I don't know. I hope it helps somebody. That's the idea. Well, everybody, we are going to cut it off here. Like I had mentioned earlier, this is going to be a two-part. So we're going to come back and kind of finish the second half of our recovery process for me physically, our grieving process, and moving into... Um, some serious run-ins with COVID and then leading into our second miscarriage. Sorry if it's a spoiler alert, but Jeremiah, thank you so much for being willing to come on and to talk about this. And You're welcome. Don't take it lightly. Everybody, you have a wonderful day. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Save the Pain. If you enjoyed this content, please leave a review, share this episode, subscribe. If you'd like to personally donate to Save the Pain, you can do so via Venmo. There is a link in the episode description. Until next time, make a difference.